Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. So it was some 15 years ago that our family had a unique and memorable opportunity. The four of us had the opportunity to stand in a room with a great number of celebrities. For those who are into that kind of thing, it was quite a moment. It's kind of that red carpet kind of moment where you're punching each other and saying, look, look, look over. Oh, my God, look over. Hey, look who's there. And this was going on as we're standing in this room together. I mean, it's a great photo op, right? You can't leave a room like that without getting something to commemorate it. And so finally, I made my way over to Julia Roberts. Roberts. I mean, we've got to be like cousins, right? I mean, we must be somewhere. Made my way over to Julia Roberts, and, and I stood beside her, and I kind of put my arm on her shoulder, and Anita took a picture. I've shared this with a few of you, so you know I'm telling the truth. Anita took a picture, quite a memorable picture. For those of you who are doubters, because I can see it on some of your faces, uh, look at the picture. This is Randy Roberts and Julia Roberts. Uh, you're duly impressed, aren't you? <laughs> you thought I was just telling you a story. So when we were done with Julia Roberts, then we started looking around at other parts of the room, and it was just amazing. It was Brad Pitt and, and, and George Clooney. Kind of bothered me a little bit. Anita spent quite a bit of time over in that part of the room, but <laughs> anyway, I digress. So, so this is just this really remarkable experience. We're standing there after a few minutes, and I told our kiddos who were younger at the time, I said, I want you to just look around for a minute. Just look around and take in the room. Because if you look carefully, you will see that the four of us are the only living beings in the room. <laughs> we were in London at Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum. <laughs> and we looked around in that moment, and it was true. We were the only living beings in the room. It was a rather strange feeling to see all of these people who were just empty shelves. Ezekiel will refer to that today, except he will refer to it with this line. There was no breath in them. Now, when we left Ezekiel last week, he left us with it echoing in our ears, the dream God has for his people, that dream where God says, I will gather you, and I will bring you home to myself. I'll take that stony, stubborn heart, 
and I'll replace it with a tender, responsive heart. And then you will be my people, and I will be your God. That's God's dream. Interestingly enough, now, many chapters later in Ezekiel, he repeats the same thing almost verbatim, the same dream, the same desire that God has. But then comes today's passage. It's maybe the best-known passage in all the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. Now, in order to enter that valley and enter it with some of the sensation that Ezekiel must have had, I'm going to take you to one other place first. It was a fall day, not unlike this beautiful fall day. It was a fall day when Anita and I walked onto the grounds of this particular place. We were first of all impressed by the beauty of the place, wide open expanses, green grass, flowers. There were tall trees, blue sky, fluffy white clouds. It was an environment of just beauty. But immediately on the heels of the beauty came a sense, a sense that I can best describe as abhorrence, revulsion. Because we were stepping on the terrain of a place called Auschwitz. Or more accurately, Auschwitz-Birkenau. We were there looking at what had been such a diabolical, devastating place to so many. As we walked onto the grounds, and I'm going to show you some of the pictures from that day, the first thing we noticed was that Infamous, made so by Hollywood and other pictures, arriving point of the trains, the trains passing through this building and then going to the other side, which you'll see in the second picture, of the place where the trains disgorged their cargo. A bit far in the distance there, you see a crowd of people gathered all along this area. The Nazi guards would storm through the crowd, dividing them, separating them. Women and children over here, men and boys over here. Boys, you come over here too. You can work. You get in that line. And then they would drive them to the showers. The next picture, you will see the pathway that led to the showers. These were we wondered. We wondered, what exactly is this? It looks like a broken-down building. Well, it simply was a place of showers and crematoria that the Nazis, once they realized the war was lost, tried to blow up to help cover their tracks. Leading right up to it in the next frame was the pathway trod by not tens of thousands but hundreds of thousands of feet toward that blown-up crematoria. And then, still standing there in the next frame, is one of the showers that was crammed with people. And then the final frame, a couple of the ovens that still stand. By the time you're done walking through that place, your mood is profoundly somber. It's devastating to think what happened there. That feeling that you have now of that devastation is probably not unlike what Ezekiel felt. <clears throat> felt about his people. Felt about those who survived who were forebears of the ones who died at Auschwitz. Ezekiel's people have been decimated, devastated, destroyed. 
And they're in the ones who still live. They're in exile, that living death, exile. I want to read to you the words of the Jewish scholar Tamara Eskenazi as she reflects on what exile actually means. Eskenazi writes, exile, it is not simply being homeless. Rather, it is knowing that you do have a home, but that your home has been taken over by enemies. Exile. It is not being without roots. On the contrary, it is having deep roots which have now been plucked up. And there you are with roots dangling, writhing in pain, exposed to a cold and jeering world, longing to be restored to native and nurturing soil. Exile is knowing precisely where you belong, but knowing that you can't go back, not yet. Exile. That's where God's people are, the ones who have survived the scourge of the marauding Babylonian forces. And that sets the stage to follow Ezekiel, not into an extermination camp, but into a valley, a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, tells the tale. Beginning with verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. It's as though Ezekiel is taken by the hand, and the Spirit of God leaves him up and down the pathways through the dry, the decimated, the desiccated bones. He's a priest. He's not to have contact with death, and yet now death and its evidence is on every hand as he paces back and forth among all the bones. And then comes God's searching question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Sovereign Lord, why are you asking me? You alone know. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now that text caught me. That caught, as a preacher, that caught me. Because what God is saying is, Ezekiel, preach to the dry bones. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've preached to some sleeping people. If you take that mask and just pull it up a little bit, <laughs> nobody need be the wiser. I remember in my first church out of college, had a gentleman, he sat right back about here. It was easy to spot him be between he and the three others who were there. He sat right back about here, and he slept through virtually every sermon. I don't mean he slept as in, you know, doing that and, and, and fighting it. I mean he slept as in head back, mouth open. I mean, I, I'm preaching here, sound asleep. And then at the end of the service, he would meet me at the back door. He would shake my hand. Pastor, that was the best sermon. <laughs> I didn't say it, but I wanted to say, what else are you lying about? 
I think the quality of the sermon was determined by the quality of the nap. <laughs> and so when the Spirit of God says to Ezekiel, preach to the dry bones, I pay attention. I mean, Christopher Wright, Old Testament scholar, points out in his commentary that it is true, apparently, you would know, to say that ears have bones. But it is not true to say that bones have ears. And yet the command is clear. Preach to the bones. Verse 5, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will, make, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Is this a bizarre scene, or is it just me? As he's preaching, a rattling sound, bone colliding with bone. It would be three millennia before it got sung, but it described it. The foot bone connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the knee, and so on. Hear the word of the Lord. It's happening right in front of Ezekiel, bone to bone, until finally, by the time the rattling stops, there they are, perfect skeletal figures. But then as in vision, he stands, no doubt, mouth agape, watching. He then sees tendons sprout and grow. Muscles flex and tighten. Skin stretch taut over the entire body. In a moment, he will say, there was a whole army of them. And Ezekiel watches this until it comes to the place where everywhere he looks now, instead of seeing dead bones, dry bones... He sees perfectly formed human bodies, reminiscent of Genesis 2 where God stoops over the mud that he has fashioned into a man. It's tempting. It's tempting to leave it right there, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. What moments ago was a scene of utter cataclysmic devastation now is a scene of perfectly structured, perfectly formed, perfectly filled out human bodies. It's tempting to leave it there. Haven't we accomplished what needs to be accomplished? No more dry bones. good bodies. But this week, as I read and reread this, I kept coming back to I was haunted by one line. One line in that last verse we read, verse 8. One line right at the end. 
Here it is. But there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. So just like that, with all these perfectly formed bodies, we step into Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. Empty shelves. There was no breath in them. But it's tempting to leave it there. We've set up the structure. We've created the formats. We have the papers done. We're all good. You might have encountered this. You might have encountered this at some point, driving up to the house of new friends. You drive up, look at the house from the outside, admire the beautiful architecture. You walk in, you see the fine furnishings, the exquisite taste reflected in the artwork on the walls. You spend a couple of hours with them, but when you walk away, there's a, there, there, there's a question haunting you. Just the way it unfolded. Is it an empty shell? Structure, but no beating heart? You might have felt it with a person. Distinguished looking, titled, talented, capable, and yet in conversation, looking into their eyes, there's a certain emptiness. Empty shell. It might even cause us to ask, do you suppose that could even happen to a church? Suppose it could be possible to have Beautiful buildings, well-crafted purpose statement, documents that describe the structure, a carefully crafted service. Could it be possible to walk away wondering, where's the heart? I, I had an argument this week, pretty strong argument, in fact. An argument with G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan's a preacher from 100 years ago. But I, I, I read his words, and, and I worried that he was talking about me or us, and I argued back with him. It's pretty feisty. Then I agreed I would bring it to you to see if you also took issue with it. So, G. Campbell, here goes. These are your words. The church of God, apart from the person of Christ, is a useless structure. 
However ornate it may be in its organization, however perfect in all its arrangements, however rich and increased with goods, if the church is not revealing the person, lifting him to the height where all men can see, then the church becomes an impertinence and a sham, a blasphemy and a fraud, and the sooner the world is rid of it, the better. Come on, G. Campbell. Take a few steps back. What do you mean? The sooner the world is rid of it, the better. You've been spending too much time in Ezekiel. You've been looking too long at that line, and there was no breath in them. So you'll have to, deci you'll have to decide whether or not to argue with him or not. But I can tell you, insofar as Ezekiel is concerned, as he stands surveying the scene, he stands in a wax museum. No breath. Verse 9, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slains that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. This passage, the 14 verses we read this morning, is centrally about that one word, Hebrew word, ruach. It can be translated breath, it can be translated wind, it can be translated spirit, and in several of the appearances here in this passage, it is clearly referencing the Spirit of God. That wind, that breath about which Jesus, sitting knee to knee with the Jewish teacher Nicodemus, said to him, you can't tell where the wind came from or where it's going. What do you mean I must be born again? How? The wind will blow into your life, Nicodemus. Somebody asked me once, have you ever seen a big wind? I said, I have. They said, no, you haven't. I said, I, ha I certainly have. No, you haven't. What are you talking about? You've seen the effects of a big wind, but you have not seen a big wind, or any wind for that matter. It's the mystery of the Spirit of God. You don't know where coming, where going, but when the Spirit of God is blown through, everything is different. And in this vision, what is different is that suddenly all of these finely crafted, well-honed, perfect human bodies are now alive. The Spirit has brought heart and soul and life, has filled in and filled out the structure. It's a vision of hope for Ezekiel's people. Back to verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have 
have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. The application of the vision is for the people who have been destroyed. God is saying, I'm going to move among you. I'm going to revive you, resurrect you, restore you, and bring you home. Two one-sentence comments from two commentaries. Underline the purpose of the vision. The SDA Bible commentary, the vision of the dry bones was designed to illustrate how Israel, scattered and seemingly hopeless, would be revived and restored. Plain and simple. Christopher Wright, Ezekiel's main point was to bring hope to Israel as a people. I'm not done with you, God says. I have, as Jeremiah, a contemporary of Ezekiel's in Babylon, will say, a future and a hope for you. But what about us? What about us some 3,000 years later? What do the dry bones mean to us? I wonder if it were possible I wonder if Ezekiel were to stand here and speak to us what he might say. Do you suppose Ezekiel might say, you ought to do an inventory. You need to do an assessment of your church. It's a good time. New structure, coming out of a pandemic, regathering. You ought to do an inventory. Okay? Ezekiel, well, I'll tell you, I love my church. I love my community of faith. I love the children, the youth, the young adults that bring to us energy and vibrancy and a focus on the future. I love the senior citizens who bring to us wisdom and experience. I love all the rest of us who bring different gifts and abilities to the body of Christ. I love the people of this community. I love its ministries. Its outreach, whether it be as close as San Bernardino or as far away as Afghanistan. I love its outreach. Its intentionality, it's saying we must do more for those out there who need we have freely received, now let us freely give. I love its ministry of music and of worship and of media and of di discipleship and all the other ministries. I love those ministries that deepen and enrich and broaden us. I love the structure that this room in which we have so much history gathering week by week, month after year after decade, coming to worship God, to uplift the name of Jesus, to study his word together, to see our children grow, to watch baptismal waters stirred. We've come to this place as well in deep grief, sorrow, tears as we 
lay to rest a beloved friend. So much history. I love the new structure. I love its architectural design. I love its usefulness, its effectiveness. I love the fact that I keep hearing people say, where did we do all this before? Well, we have new things. We're doing what we never could do. I love hearing that. But Ezekiel presses me. That's good, Brandy. Beautiful structures, a beautiful body, a lot of people, many ministries. But tell me about its heart. After spending time this week with Ezekiel, here's what I have concluded. Nothing. No building. No structure. No program, no matter how perfect, can ever replace the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Be grateful for and celebrate what God has been gracious enough to give us. But keep perspective. That if we come to depend too much on that, Ezekiel can write an epitaph over our grave that says, no breath in them, wax museum. Because nothing, no building, no structure, no program, no matter how perfect, can ever replace the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And when that wind blows into us, whether it be us as individuals, us as families, us as small groups, or us as an entire community, it tends to upset the apple cart, turn things a bit upside down, leave some mess in its wake, but there's life. There's spiritual energy, spiritual fire. Breathe on us, breath of God. Nothing can replace that. Spending time with Ezekiel created in me a yearning in my own heart and life. And for this community that I love, a yearning for that wind to blow. Sometimes the wind comes as a gentle wind, a gentle whisper. Sometimes it's a hurricane force. But when it comes, it creates life. Eugene Peterson tells the story. The story, do you remember it? The story of John Muir, the naturalist who, 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 who left so much for us to view and read about especially the western part of this continent. From the Sierra Nevada mountains all the way up to the ice glaciers of Alaska. He was in love with nature, in love with, what, with the beauty that was there. The year was 1874. Muir had, had gone to the cabin of a friend in the Sierra Nevadas. It was nestled into a little valley in the wild realities of nature. 
While he was there, a storm erupted. The wind blew in almost with the force of a hurricane, the rain, the lightning, the thunder. It was bending the trees, the mighty trees. It's just the kind of context and situation where you do what is the most natural thing to do. You throw another log on the fire. You brew a pot of hot tea. You get two or three blankets. You sit beside the fire, and you wait for that wind to blow itself out, which is precisely what John Muir did not do. No. Muir walked out of the cabin, walked into the storm, climbed a nearby ridge, found a tall tree that was bending in the wind, and climbing up into its branches, he grabbed on and faced into the wind as that hurricane force burst upon him. He watched the kaleidoscope of color. He listened to the cacophony of sound as he experienced the grandeur and the majesty and the power, unbridled power of nature. Creates a yearning in me for the wind of Ezekiel's spiritual God to blow. And instead of running from it, instead of hunkering down and waiting for it to pass, to join you, to go out into the midst of it and to watch what God does. Friends, it's a good time to assess and to reassess God has blessed us. And let there be no doubt of our gratitude for that. But friends, we don't want a wax museum. That's the last thing we want. We want human people vitalized, revitalized, resurrected by the Spirit of God. I want to invite you this morning, if you would like to pray with me that the spiritual wind of the Holy Spirit might blow in your heart, in your family, in our community, would you be willing to kneel with me in prayer? Gracious God, we are tempted as we view that scene of the valley of the dry bones to first of all be horrified. And then at seeing whole human bodies to relax a bit. But Lord, don't let us stop at the museum. Push us out the door into the wind of the Spirit of God. Whether it be a gentle breeze caressing our cheeks or whether it be bending over the great tree where we find ourselves, might that wind move 
in us, on us, with us, through us, that of us it may never be said there was no breath in it. But of us, we might know the revitalizing power and presence of the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.